Welcome to the History of Chemistry podcast. I'm Steve Cohen, your host, and this is episode sixteen. You're not my type. In this episode, we shall talk about an early way to determine molecular structure, that is, type theory. Thanks to those who already support this podcast. Support the continuation of this podcast at Patreon. The website is www.patreon.com/forward/slash/the-history-of-chemistry. In the last episode, we first heard about radicals and how it seemed that organic molecules were constructed out of them. We also heard earlier about Berzelius, who promoted the idea that all molecules were held together by electrical forces, which was shown to be correct nearly a century later. If this was true, clearly there had to be a positive part of a molecule and a negative part in order for electricity to hold it all together. For organic chemicals like salts, this worked out fairly well, as we shall see later in this series. But for organic chemicals, this idea needed some twisting into shape. Berzelius stated that organic radicals were only made of carbon plus oxygen with a negative charge, and hydrogen with a positive charge. In modern words, we might say that organic compounds were of the form carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen with a positive charge, plus oxygen with a negative charge. Organic chemists had the job of figuring out what the relative proportions of each element were, and find an analogy with inorganic salts. So we can say that if inorganic sulfuric acid is of the form SO3 plus H2O. Then we can make an analogy to organic acetic acid as the form C4H6O3 plus H2O. In acetic acid, the analogy is that C4H6 is a radical, like the sulfur part of sulfuric acid. But at the end of the last episode, we heard of the discovery of a benzoyl radical with a formula of C7H5O. How could a radical contain oxygen? Berzelius, now becoming known as a hard-headed sage, insisted that the data were wrong, and benzoyl obviously couldn't contain oxygen. There was a second fiat that Berzelius made. It was clearly impossible electrically for a negative element to take the place of a positive element like hydrogen in radicals or molecules. How could the new molecule hold itself together? Data showed Berzelius to be wrong about substitution. Jean-Baptiste Dumont championed Berzelius's dualistic ideas, but in 1836, one of Dumas's own students, Auguste Laurent, was able to experiment on ethanol, an organic compound which is the active ingredient in alcoholic beverages. He was able to place chlorine atoms where several of the hydrogen atoms resided in ethanol. Now, chlorine was known to be negative already, while hydrogen was positive. So that caused serious disagreements involving Berzelius. Even more so, it was obvious that the chlorines needed to be attached to the carbon atom, also negative. How could you attach negative chlorines to negative carbons? All hell broke loose between the cantankerous but powerful Berzelius and the young brash Laurent, and Dumas was caught in the middle. Berzelius insisted he was right and launched an attack on Laurent. Banning Laurent from experimenting in some famous laboratories, 
But even the conservative Duma was able to do the same thing: substitute negative chlorine atoms for positive hydrogen atoms in another organic molecule, acetic acid, in 1839, naming it trichloroacetic acid. And yet Duma caved to Berzelius and dissociated himself from Laurent. In the meantime, Laurent, who was a brilliant theoretician as well, gave a doctoral dissertation in 1837, suggesting that a chemical's properties depend directly on the atomic arrangement, including a definite three-dimensional structure. We might call this the start of what's now called stereochemistry. Or how chemistry is affected by the 3D arrangement of a molecule's constituent atoms. Berzelius stuck to his radical theory. In 1840, he promoted a slight change to his radicals. In this new and improved version, radicals could coordinate with each other, and that radicals could change in a substitution reaction. So we say that acetic acid is analogous to an inorganic oxide. That is. An oxide of a methyl radical. Likewise, trichloroacetic acid is a carbon chloride radical united with an anhydride of oxalic acid. Even so, in 1842, Louis Melsin was able to convert trichloroacetic acid back to regular acetic acid, putting hydrogens back in place of the three chlorine atoms. Here, both acids were very similar, even of the same type. Laurent continued to insist that he was right. With more and more experiments to show it, but Berzelius's dualistic radical theory stood firm, if only because of the raging bull that Berzelius was, and there was nothing to replace it, much like Aristotle's four elements and qualities centuries before. After Berzelius died in 1848, Laurent's model overtook radical theory. For Laurent, he avoided the electrical idea altogether, given its problems at the time. Instead. He decided that organic molecules had a central unit, which might be an atom or a group of atoms. To this central nucleus, other bits of molecules attached themselves. These nuclei had various three-dimensional shapes, like cubes or tetrahedrons. If you have played Dungeons and Dragons, you are probably very familiar with some of these polyhedra as dice. For example, the C8H11 radical. Was made of carbon atoms at each of eight corners in a cube. A cube also has twelve edges, and he placed hydrogen atoms in the middle of each of these edges. Suppose you remove or add one atom, the remaining atoms would have a different geometry, which changes the macroscopic chemistry of the substance. This idea has the added appeal with regard to placing hydrogens with chlorines. The geometry of the nucleus stays the same. This is really not the way we understand how molecules work, but there is a lot to say for Laurent's 3D suggestion. You can talk about molecular structure having effects, and you can talk about atomic substitution as not changing the overall chemical properties much. It also sounds a bit more like modern organic chemistry, where we speak of a group or chain of atoms. In addition. Laurent theorized that molecules with the same central nuclei would have similar properties, so we can organize organic compounds into types, with each type having a characteristic nucleus. You can attach a variety of different atoms to the central nucleus, but there will still be some general properties of the family or type of molecules. You might even extend types to inorganic compounds. Overall, chemists called this the theory of types. 
Let's look at an example, starting with water, which we know is H two O, or restated H O H. The oxygen atom is in the middle with two hydrogen atoms on either side. We can substitute other radicals for one of the hydrogens. The easiest one to imagine is the methyl group or radical CH three, or a carbon with three hydrogens attached to it. Take a hydrogen away from water, add the methyl group in its place, and you get CH three OH, called methanol, or wood alcohol in pre-Lavoisier language. Instead of methyl, use an ethyl group, C two H five, and you get C two H five OH, ethanol, or grain alcohol. You can imagine all sorts of radicals attaching to the remaining OH from water, all different compounds, but they all show some vague similarity to water. Simpler ones will mix with water easily. Sodium metal, which burns in water, will do the same, but a bit slower. All of these chemicals are based on the water type. We can even say that potassium hydroxide is a compound of the water type, KOH. Where we replace one hydrogen with a potassium. A second variation of the water type was discovered in the early 1850s by English chemist Alexander Williamson. In this variation, instead of replacing only one of the hydrogens of HOH with something else, you can replace both hydrogens. These molecules are called ethers. At this time, the idea of an anesthetic in surgery was just discovered, and one particular ether. C two H five O C two H five was used. Here, both hydrogens are replaced with ethyl radicals. Another type of molecule was found in eighteen forty eight by the French chemist Adolphe Wurtz. This type was based on the ammonia molecule, which has a nitrogen plus three hydrogens. The type was named amine for ammonia, and in it you could change one, two, or even three of the hydrogens for another radical. And yet another fourth type was based on the molecule hydrogen chloride. Based on this, some chemists thought that every organic molecule could be thought of as belonging to one of these four types. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. The whole scheme became popular. Because it became easy to classify organic compounds based on such formulas and subunits, German chemist Leopold Gmelin put together his Handbook of Chemistry, which by 1847 was in the fourth edition, and actually used type theory to organize his handbook. By 1880, much later in the century, a Russian-German chemist, a former student of Wöhler named Friedrich Conrad Beilstein. Began compiling a catalog describing all sorts of organic compounds, also organized upon this type system. Successors to Beilstein kept creating larger and larger editions of Beilstein's handbook, which is now online today. Any of you who have taken organic chemistry 
probably see the faint echoes of type theory in how organic reactions are presented currently. Alcohols, ethers, amines, and a variety of other types, but now called functional groups. Laurent was one of the greatest theoreticians of chemistry, for he didn't regard a theory as right or wrong. Instead, he judged a theory on whether it worked. And it's too bad we don't hear more about him. Type theory is all cool and such, but we still have no idea about real molecular structure. All we've done is push the question down a level and ignored how radicals themselves have some kind of structure. On a historical political note here, we bring up Japan in the middle of the 19th century. At that time, the military ruler of Japan was the Tokugawa shogunate, a kind of feudal government. There was a strict policy of sakoku, or isolationism, keeping foreigners out of the nation. Japan was divided up into vassal domains, or han, which were required to pay tribute to the Tokugawa clan running the country. One of these vassal domains was the Choshu Han, occupying a small area in the southwest in what is now Yamaguchi Prefecture. They were resentful of the Tokugawa family and sought ways to overthrow the national government. One of those ways was to learn the ways of the Western nations and their military technology, which could be useful as well to defend Japan. However, with the Sakoku, or strict isolationism, it was difficult. Eventually, the elders of the Han decided to send five students secretly to a Western university to learn about science and technology. At that time, travel from Japan to foreign countries was punishable by death. In June 1863, five students, Ito Shunsuke, Inoue Monta, Yamao Yozo, Endo Kinsuke, and Nomura Yakichi, were disguised as English sailors, and they took a trading vessel from Yokohama to London, arriving in November. They enrolled at University College London, and their mentor was none other than Professor Alexander Williamson, along with his wife Catherine. Catherine taught the students English. After a few years of study, they returned to Japan, not with the intention of protecting their home country from foreigners, but to include Western ideas and opening up Japan to other countries. By 1868, the regime was overthrown. Many of these former students became high level politicians in the new Japanese government. More students arrived from another clan to UCL, and they asked Williamson to recommend British teachers to come back to Japan. There is a monument to the Choshu Five, as they eventually came to be known, at UCL. On it is the inscription. When distant minds come together, cherries blossom. You can read this bit of history in the Royal Society of Chemistry's historical group newsletter from winter 2014 to commemorate the 150th anniversary of this secret voyage. There is a second young chemist. Who was friends with Auguste Laurent, I should mention. This was Charles Gerhardt. He was a student of Liebig in Germany and also with Dumas in Paris. Gerhardt, like Laurent, became known as a quarrelsome troublemaker. As William Brock notes in his Norton History of Chemistry, 
Gerhardt raised the bile in most of his contemporaries because of the uninhibited style of his criticisms of their work and his apparent lack of respect for his seniors. In return, he was slandered as a highwayman, a dog, and a shameless liar, but loyally defended from his foes by the equally maligned and equally sharp-tongued Laurent. He took inspiration from the burgeoning science of biology and especially the ladder of nature. This idea from our already discredited pal, the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle, is that there is a series of stepping stones of matter, from the lowest minerals, which lack mobility, thinking, and reproducing, to the next rung, plants, which can reproduce, to the next rung, animals, which can move and reproduce, and the highest, which is people, who can move, reproduce, and think. It's also a way to rank matter from imperfection to perfection, and clearly species cannot switch around and gain some kind of perfection in the process. Gerhardt reasoned that maybe we can classify organic compounds in a similar ladder. Knowing the already thousands of chemical compounds by the 1840s, Gerhardt inferred a principle of plenitude in chemistry. The principle of plenitude is also an ancient Greek idea. In brief, that the universe includes all possible forms of existence. So, in chemistry, Gerhardt noticed that many organic molecules were different from each other by a carbon atom plus two hydrogens, CH2. Even if no molecule with an extra CH2 or one less CH2 was known, it had to exist. This gave rise to his idea of a homologous series of organic molecules, each differing by a single CH2 unit. The best example of this homologous series is the hydrocarbons, composed only of carbon and hydrogen. We start with CH4, methane gas. We can add CH2 to get ethane gas, C2H6, then another CH2 to get propane gas, C3H8, and so on. It turns out that whenever you add another CH2 to a molecule, the boiling point rises a certain amount in a stepwise fashion. Another homologous series can be seen in organic acids made from hydrocarbons. A third series is organic alcohols. One strange factoid about this chemical homologous series is that even the political economic writer Karl Marx mentioned it. In the third edition of his book Das Kapital, Marx included it as an explanatory footnote, citing Laurent and Gerhardt's idea. Marx's point was to show how exact differences in money affect general differences in capital. After Gerhardt and Laurent were talking about their ideas and types in homologous series, they realized that their views fit together nicely. Today, it's hard to say who proposed what after their collaboration began. Salzburg suggests that the deep ideas came from Laurent, while Gerhardt was the developer of the details. Critics of their ideas appeared. And accused them of numerology rather than rational science. Why would CH2 be some kind of fundamental radical? But the scheme worked. One set of predictions was new compounds and alcohols, and another was successfully predicting approximate boiling points of then missing compounds in one of these sequences. We do have to realize that there was no good idea about a molecular structure at that time, so this predictive ability seemed quite mysterious to their fellow chemists. A professor of chemistry at East Alabama College, John Darby, wrote in his 1861 textbook of chemistry 
exasperated about isomers and structures. An explanation of these phenomena that attributes them to a different arrangement of atoms is not satisfactory, as elementary bodies assume different states in inorganic chemistry, which is called allotropism, when such a cause is evidently impossible. We can only refer it at present to the will of the Creator. I continue to note that there was still widespread confusion among chemists as how to handle molecular formulas. There are atomic weights which tell how much each atom weighs compared to a standard such as hydrogen. There are equivalent formulas showing how much of one compound reacts exactly with another compound, so that each compound is equivalent to the other, which we described with Richter's work in the late 1700s. And there is the molecular weight, which is how much a molecule composed of atoms might weigh. The problem is determining each of these independently of the others. So, is a molecule of hydrogen gas made of one atom or two or more? How about oxygen or nitrogen? What about mercury metal? If we don't know if hydrogen has one atom, monatomic, or two atoms, diatomic, in a single molecule, we will calculate molecular weights, equivalents, and atomic weights all wrong. Laurent himself got remarkably close to the truth in 1846 when he said the following. Each molecule of an element is divisible at least into two parts, which we will call atoms. These molecules can be divided only in the case of combinations. The atom of Gerhardt represents the smallest quantity of a body which can exist in a compound. My molecule represents the smallest quantity of a body which must be used to effect a combination, a quantity which is divided into two by the act of combination. Thus, Cl may enter into a combination, but to do this, Cl2 must be used. The equivalent is the quantity of an element so as to play its part, and is the same as, or a multiple of, the molecular weight. So what Laurent is saying is that all elements are diatomic, their molecules are made of two atoms, they can never exist as single atoms, this is wrong but not incredibly wrong usually, if you want to use a gas like chlorine in your reaction it's diatomic, this is correct for chlorine, nitrogen, oxygen, and hydrogen, but it can split up into single parts or atoms to react, these atoms never appear isolated. The ultimate answer, very close to Laurent's guess, was finally accepted, but nearly two decades later and after Laurent's death. We shall find out about it in a future episode. In our next episode, we look at how Volta's electric pile affected the development of 19th century chemistry. Until then, brave the elements! Thank you for listening to the History of Chemistry podcast. <laughs> <laughs>